Greetings, ladies and metal gents, and welcome to the latest narration of the web series, There is no Epic Lucha, only puns. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 183. T the Party. The shield enchantment shattered with the sound of tinkling glass. The man went flying back, sending sand flying as he was sent rolling across the arena. In the same swipe, the goblin rider sent the sneaking assassin woman back with a harsh blow that somehow missed all of her vitals. This can't be, the trembling mage raised his staff, and a pathetic puff of smoke and ember gathered due to his inability to focus. The creature was near perfect match for them. Someone yelled, swinging a massive battle axe around as he pulsed with a bloody aura. The goblin meanly leaned back, catching the axe blade with one powerful hand before heaving. The man was lifted into the air, and the pig, no, the monstrous boar the goblin rode, turned and kicked like a horse, sending the man so far back that he hit the walls. It was a miracle he didn't explode into meaty mist. It was a miracle none of them were dead. Is this the might of your group? Where is the synergy? Where is the thirst for success? Where is the revel? The goblin boss thundered and the ball slammed down, creating a shockwave that sent the rest of the party reading. Is this all you have to offer? The creature spoke as the mage fell to his knees, what once proud fire mage, now useless in his terror. If so, then you are not worthy. The powerful lawn settled on the shoulder of the mage as crimson eyes stared down at him from up high. You are not worthy. Then the last thing he heard before a blow knocked him out was, You shall not pass, lingering in his ears. You want what? Mila asked the snot-nosed kid of picks. I want to purchase a license to open a local adventuring guild in Durance, Grim said without shame. You're twelve, Mila said bluntly as she downed a coffee that was more black than her soul. Sixteen. I can legally do it, Grim corrected. You're poor, she added. I saved all my pocket money since I was born. I was planning on using it to purchase a rare mythical weapon that would destroy my enemies and make their gender-neutral others weep. Grim countered, crossing his arms with a glare. That's a good dream, but you sure you want to waste it all on running a... Mila grimaced as if she was saying something vulgar. <sighs> An adventurer's guild of all things, she asked. I wasn't until I saw how gullible adventurers actually are, Grim admitted and Mila moved around her home to find a bottle of whiskey she hadn't drunk rye yet. Mila paused as the memory came to her. It was an untainted memory, so she relished it as it flowed back to her. Ha! Ah, little Mila and Picks, I'll set aside some birthday gifts. I sold one of my mother's old cursed earrings. People will buy anything. How about 10,000 gold per child? Uncle Durance is going to be the favorite. He never got to be an uncle, but Mila could remedy that just a little. Fine. The guild is yours, but keep your money. And as young people stench all over it. And you are particularly hormonal, Mila said with a glare. Grim narrowed his eyes. I don't trust charity from you. You once stole all my birthday cake because you said the weak shall starve, Grim said. And Mila didn't remember that event, since she was sure she did that to all the children on their birthday. It was an honored tradition from her island. You won't be happy when you see the paperwork, Mila warned, and then kicked the kid out. Durance's gift was rejected by Rudy when she was young. The girl could get hell rubies and blood gold from her father if she wanted. No, Rudy didn't like being handed her treasure. 
Mila wasn't holding her breath for grandkids until Rudy was done tormenting every man she came across. Grim could have the gold or the purchase of the guild. Grim had wondered where he could set up his guild after the permit for the thing arrived at his door less than an hour later. Guild Master Grim and a nice ring to it. All those fools would have to bow to him. Peering at the permit, the guild all had to be located between the dungeon and the local town, had to be accessible, open to all, and run with the intent to help adventurers. It didn't say Grim had to be welcoming, friendly, or making gold by the minute as he operated. Mila had even accidentally signed a few permission bonuses for Grim. I can reject certain quests, limit adventures, I don't need to feed or house anyone, and I can construct one next to the dungeon if I wanted, Grim hummed, and then his face turned serious. I don't know how to build things, he admitted. He remembered something about a builder in town. He peered down the street of Durance. Page Turner's bookstore, weathered wax candle store, real beauty's fishmonger. Aha! Uh -huh. Grim's eyes paused on a small, dinky corner store. Nomad, nomad, easy construction, Grim said with satisfaction. He even knew who ran the place. He opened the door, and the smell of distant grassy plains and herd animals seemed to assault him. A giant man rested behind the counter as he carefully read textbooks that Grim was pretty sure were the same ones that he was assigned as homework. Dio's father, I've come to bargain, he thundered. The man blinked and smiled. Damn it, that damned smile. Grim couldn't escape that smile. The bloodline was haunting him. I need a grand hole by the dungeon, and I won't be moved or convinced otherwise, he said. And the man took about a pair of comically small spectacles and peered at his completely empty calendar, aside from every date being filled with things like admire Isanella and read Dio a story, or even... Tonight is pie night. Three floors or five, the man asked softly, and Grimm's bones vibrated, and his blood rushed as he felt the sudden urge to punch something in a glorious battle. I don't feel like climbing stairs, Grimm declined. He was a very particular sort, and he knew what he wanted long term. Climbing stairs every five minutes wasn't one of them. I can install elevators, the man offered. Oh well, the more floors the better then, Grimm said brightly. Being Dio's friend, uh, I'll have it done by tomorrow, the man nodded. We're not friends. I just use him as a disposable minion. I don't want you to get the wrong idea, Grim said quickly. He was greedy, not a villain. Dio doesn't befriend those of dark souls and intentions. Your words may shield your heart from the threat of being hurt, but they can't hide your bond, the man said kindly, and Grim puffed up like a pissed-off cat. We do not have a bond, he protested. Who did this guy think he was? Some spiritual master of bonds. The heart sees even if the eyes do not, the man said with satisfaction. Grim was about to explode when Dio entered the shop. Grim, I found you. Mr. Jones sent us homework, and I used mine as a fortune telling origami, but it flew off in the breeze. Can I look at yours so that I can copy the questions? Uh, uh, not, not the answers. Dio said quickly, looking both excited and nervous. Grim shoved his bag at him. I already made a second copy. I saw your stupid fortune thing before I left school. You are an idiot, Grim said with a glare. Dio's eyes lit up. Want to hear what my fortune said? He asked, and Grim stared at him. Unfortunately, you're going to tell me no matter what I say, Grim said before he cursed his tongue. Stupid curse. Unseen, Dio's father reached for a key and began pulling out rare materials from the storeroom. New didn't have much joy in life, but watching people suffer was one of them. 
If you could make a recording of the best moments, you would have more than enough material for five different hour-long videos. An adventurer jumped into the mudroom, only to be pushed off by the extending poles in the wall and land upside down in the breathable mud. He had to be fished out by the goblins. Some fool had gone so deep into defensive skill and magic that he presumed himself untouchable. Muffet tied him up and left him in a corner until someone could peel him free from his armor. Two unlucky idiots had managed to get into Maestro's secret passage, believing they had found the golden road around the grove and pub, only to return and could adventuring the next day if their mutterings were to be believed. Maestro was welcoming, but his appearance in mind-bending room had an effect on the feeble of mind. It was a new odd group, however. Boisterous and loud, they looked like they had gone out one day to drink and just didn't stop. They weren't armed and obeyed the rules so well that they were allowed to make it all the way to Ferris Bar. But they didn't want to move on. The heroes of Ale had come for the drinks. Vera, for the first time, had serious customers, and she was pushed to her limits as a bartender. One of the drinkers ordered Delta's surprise, growing a beard so magnificent that he wept. New overheard that he was a whisker baby beforehand. That was when they saw the Zodiac bottles and pleaded to know more. You gotta beat the fourth floor to taste these, she said rudely, and in doing so ignited a fire in the group Lou had never seen before. What happened next was as confusing as it was terrifying. They paid Farrah for a bar stools, rushed into the boss room, and pushed Fran to a draw for time, with battle cries and promises of the forbidden juice on the fourth floor. To new shock, they beat Fran, their teamwork impeccable. In response, Fran smiled and faded away, leaving behind a boar helmet, two drinking horns, and some coins. The drinking horns were held up with near worship as the group and people cheered. To Sir Fran, he drinks with us forevermore, they half slurred, half cheered. Wyam paused as she felt her Sir Fran's joy as he faded in battle. On one hand, they defeated a beloved knight, so Wyam would have to flay them alive. On the other hand, Fran was happy so she wouldn't have to use salt on their exposed flesh when she was done. It was a fair compromise. The heroes of Ale took the jungle like an invasive species. Delta watched as they chased the pygmy mushrooms, declaring them adorable. A few of them split off to check out the waterfall, and when Bob emerged, they held their hands up, wriggling in junkness. Well, friend, drink with us. Water is acceptable. We respect sobriety if you respect our not-sobriety. A woman hollered as she wore a special helmet she crafted to fit Fran's drinking horns into the empty slots, with what looked like some sort of plant-like fiber tube leading to her mouth. They scare me, but I like them. It's like being invaded by a benevolent frat party, Delta said, staring at the chaos. Gee! Someone yelled as Bob dropped the key in his excitement to dance with the strange people. His two crab friends were passing what looked like a thimble of whiskey, Hey, no drinking. You're not of age, Delta said and ran over. The crab ran away from her, still drinking. She was alerted as the bridge guarded by Giant was being rocked as a group on it was thundering and making it rock to the drinking song. Giant was joining in shyly. We drink day and night in the dark and the light. We are the heroes of the ale. Before us all enemies pale, they sang messily. The key giant was guarding was tossed into one of the people's hands, who put it in the earring like a cool souvenir. That was when Rail appeared with a box of near-cold stone he'd fished from the bottom of the river. I heard there was a request for joy and a place to keep drinks cool, he called, and in response he got a thunderous cheer, 
Bottles purchased from Pharaoh were stocked inside, and Rail was absorbed by the party. Delta was busy chasing down bees who were flying in lazy circles into each other as the bottles of spirits were spilled over the flowers, causing their pollen to become uh, intoxicating. Sweet nectar, a craft of the heroes of ale cried as pools of gleaming honey spread before them. A lot of bees were on the ground, passing a flower that was dripping with booze. High in the tower, Queen Lizzie stared down at her kingdom and sipped a rare cocktail that Farrah had brought her personally. The queen called out, Off with their heads. It was made from rare flowers that Luna cultivated in the secret garden of this floor. It had over a dozen types and would normally cost a lot, but Farrah seemed to be in a good mood. She looked around to ensure that she was alone and pulled out a commissioned piece of artwork of that human. The one who talked as smooth as his skin was, Seth. The heart stealer. Lizzie hugged the picture and drained a drink. Below, the crafter was quickly at work, turning a dozen honey meads into a single bottle that began to shine a rainbow hue. It's a high-ranked drink, never tasted before, they slurred. Yes, sir, uh, let's take this bottle and appreciate it. Anyone wanting their own bottle better have cash, someone yelled as they got ready to move on. Can't we just borrow some? Someone yelled back. Respect the local community, minus two bro points, the first said, and the second clutched his heart. The pygmies were conflicted. Oh, I love you guys. Oh, you're so small. I just w- want to say how much I, uh, I love you all, a muscular man said with a sniffle as he hugged what seemed to be a poison in a bottle. He had fallen into the home and just started proclaiming love. Normally, a sacrifice of hair and more would occur but they weren't sure if they wanted to offer this particular mortal to the Great Mother. Oh, you're all just so small, and you're doing your best, the man went on, tearing up. Mortals could leak. Give him the key, and he'll go away, the eldest hissed. The three great pygmies were at a loss to the man didn't even enter the labyrinth, and thus they couldn't test him. Isn't that disrespecting tradition? A pygmy asked in a puff of spores. He's leaking salt water on us. He was dangerous, the elder replied quickly. The alchemist sampled the poison, as was its nature. Sweet, but different, it mused and dunked its whole head in. Delta could take comfort in one thing. The undead couldn't get drunk. The booze literally went down the bottom of their stomach. That was what she had hoped, however. These heroes had a scary ability. The circus of the dam was alive with music, partying, and stunts because they had inflicted the skeletons with undead animals with vibes. The sheer mood they brought seemed to lift even Remy's ghoulish pallor. In the mess, a golden piece of popcorn was taken and added to a mixture of beers. The entire thing flashed golden when it was done, and Dalta stared as people hugged each other. I love you. No, bro. I love you. The others were just grinning. I remember when we just met. One nudged another who laughed. The skeletons took some of their legs off and people began to conga line under the merged bone pile. Delta stared until Remy held out a hand. He seemed to be grinning at her. Isn't this wonderful? He seemed to ask. Delta tried to be stern about all the alcohol for the moment. She sagged and took his offered hand. Delta laughed as she was pulled into the line of conga goers. So if you like the beat, take a lesson from the Cuban Pete, and I'll teach you the chicka chickity boom chickity chickity boom She sang along as the circus became a party of unchanged joy and music. In the corner, 
Mahari barfed up a mixture of necrotic green energy and golden sparkles as she held an alcopop mixed drink in one hand. She stood up and glared at the full bottle. I will defeat you and drain your contents like a soul. She swore and took another swig. Three seconds later, she bent over and barfed. Wyam was wondering what was going on outside as her gates opened. She had just readied her speech about pain and deliverance when she froze. Dozens of topless people were filtering in with a cheer. Some had beers glued to their bodies while others were covered in honey. Others had drinking horns filled with tree sap and with crunchy yellow leaves in the others. What is this temporary? She demanded as someone brought in Wilhelm covered in glittering lights and with the words party monkey painted on his chest. Behave yourselves. This is a place of worship, she demanded. Slam a shot for the goddess, someone cried and everyone drank. Wyam got a tiny boost of power and she glared at them. Don't you dare taint my divinity with your boorish behavior. She threatened the party. Keg barrel stands for the tree goddess, Delta screamed, blushing red as she swung a drink around. It's fun to worship at the W-Y-I-N. Luna danced between Rail and Giant, dragging Davina into the mess, who was flustered as Rail grinned at her. I refuse. I am not a goddess of booze, drunkards. I am a goddess of life and pain. Wyam tried to yell over the music. A few seconds later, stop hitting each other on the asses. Wyam turned to Delta, glaring. Gotta make a move to a town that's right for me. Town to keep me moving. Keep me grooving with some energy. Delta shot a finger of guns as she was lost in the thronging of the party people. Wyam was about to blow a gasket. All she wanted was some tortured souls and to curl up with her murder mysteries in bedtime. Wyam was afraid what they might do with her were rewards if she let them pass. They might tell others that she was a goddess of revelry and booze. Her image would be ruined. Alcohol was only fun when she could mock others for the hangovers. Wyam glared and someone offered her a drinking horn. Why would I want such a disgust? She froze as she recognized the horns finally. Sir Fran's treasures. She snatched the horn and drained the fluids within. It was masculine and tasted of burnt oil, just like her night. A pleasant warmth of cloud of pink covered her memories from that point onwards. Wyam would wake up later, covered in honey and with three naked people in her branches. The party had moved on without her. End of chapter. Chapter 184. Hell is other puns. The air was tense with anticipation and a little desperation. Delta felt a bead of sweat roll down her forehead as she pressed her awareness to the max, everything resting on the single action. And failure was no longer an option. Every iota of her soul was dedicated to this task before her. As the seconds passed, she could feel immense pressure building. The room deadly silent as everyone was also completely enthralled in the task. Food stall, snakes in pipe, flying rug merchant, she hissed mentally, pushing herself to go faster. How could there be so much to sort through yet yield no result? Her soul, her very being was poured into this task. There could be no hesitation, no retreat, no surrender. He's by the dancing sword swallowers who are collapsing into a pile, Lou interrupted, sounding exhausted, and Darth let out a scream of frustration as the silent Libro Golem pointed to new in victory turning the page of wherever's Walric. The other ten members of the Heroic of Ale let out groans as they couldn't find the hidden character fast enough. Some of them were standing, but most of them had found seats. A selection of poofy pillows had been gathered in the library as people drank in special sealed sippy cups to prevent spillage 
as the golem seemed happy to be doing something. Originally, the group had come into the room by accident and couldn't find the door back out. At first, Dalton had thought that they would seek out the 1,000 Illegal Brews and 32 Immoral Cocktails recipe book, or the Dragon's Every Part is Drinkable book, but they had been captivated by the colorful children's shelf that Dalton had filled up on his spare time. The Gollum would only let them stay if they upgraded their open mugs to secure cups. Alcohol was murder in books, apparently, especially when it's mead or wine. Still, the event was enjoyable. It turned out that the group didn't have a lot of literate readers, but those that could read were more than happy to read to their friends, still as drunk as skunks. The little horse cart that would and the devouring caterpillar were very popular due to the little word count and bright artwork. Some were amused because of the alcohol, others were immersed due to never having a chance to be read to as a child, and that was something Delta found sad in her heart. The Lady Waldrick has to count, I keep finding her, someone complained, drinking their beer through a winding straw. I like the little dog with glasses. May I look for him first? Another beamed, sinking into the beanbag as he downed the cider-like fruit drink. I feel like a designated driver, Noose said, sounding dead inside. The menu was partially reading an issue of the Trap Monthly that was about 20 years out of date. Delta wondered if she could subscribe to all the magazines. Was there a book dungeon? There had to be a book dungeon. You should get prim in on the fun, Delta beamed as she tried to tease New into letting his hair down. She secluded herself in her bug notes and ever-expanding crash reports. I can't find her, New grunted as he floated up and tugged Delta through the wall, leaving the group to be read and, to and defeated by the golem. Delta looked back at the gathering with a sigh, feeding one of the squishy chairs calling to her. Delta had copies of absorbed books of ancient power rituals and other valuable tomes, but she was more happy about her public library of knowledge and her books set to delight. The teacher in her just loved people enjoying a good book. Delta was one to enjoy a book or two herself, but only in the dead of night and behind locked doors. As she left, she saw a shadow moving amongst the shelves, revealing Jack the Kobold collecting drinks and coins from the unaware guests. More offerings to death. Delta shook her head, but as she floated past the map room, she paused to listen to the corridor connecting to the troll's den. Swamp! Swamp! Get out of swamp! came a thunderous roar of voices and song following a belt so loud that it shook the walls. I'll check on that later, Delta said brightly, eyes a little too wide, and pivoted to the feast room. The free heel ball was a war zone, defeated heroes of ale laid across tables, chicken sticks in hand and bowls of melting desserts as pillows. Vera was sweeping a few of them into a pile in the corner where blankets had been haphazardly tossed over a few of them. The power of the food had claimed more than a few of the group, due to the fact that they couldn't stop eating, and soon the mixture of alcohol and a full stomach brought on a fitful sleep. The impressive thing was that their ability to tolerate mana of the dungeon was so deep that they could perhaps spend the whole night on the floor with no ill effects. This group must have been in a lot of dungeons, Delta said to Nu. No, I think they just drank so much poison over the years that their mana, like their stomachs, have turned into lumpy iron consistency, the menu said with a dry tone. Delta stared at some of the unconscious members. Would that mean that anyone who is sensitive to mana would get a buzz by being near them? Wait, are they getting me buzzed? Delta asked, holding her hands up with an old expression. No, you've eaten so much gut rot, you have a liver and other vital organs of oriculcum. You're just easily impressionable and swept into mobs, New said, popping her bubble. 
I never decided to eat them. I didn't choose the shrooms. They chose me. Violently, Jean shivered and hugged herself. All the senior members are missing. Did they go ahead? She asked, feeling around on the floor to feel if there was a lot of motion. Ahead? No. Well, sort of stumbling in a direction they didn't control. Yes. New said with a nod of his avatar. Delta moved ahead to the garden at the center floor, connecting all the rooms together. To her surprise, one of the heroes had found a means to open the soul well that contained the pure essence of her manor. The older man stared at it, but didn't partake in it. Despite sweating and looking flush with alcohol, he didn't seem like he was losing control of any of his functions. Is he going to drink from the well? Belta asked, worried about the consequences. She might have to call the gargoyles over. She didn't mind mingling her manner with people, but it was important to Delta that they be sober and clear thinking before they made such a choice. Delta appeared at the man, seeing how he was far older than most of the members, and had a sort of shabby look to him. He didn't have many teeth left, but he still looked to be healthy despite his age. Lovely place, I, the man mused to himself, and then made a toast with a private hip flask, then looked very old and tarnished, but still gleamed with hints of pure silver. Too beautiful dungeon, that grew despite the mad witch that was buried here. To the kind dungeon that grew in monument to a proud son that held virtues of Valdun through. He cheered and drowned a truly impressive amount of gulps from the flask. May you rot in hell, you wicked thing. My poor heart still loves you so. He toasted to the ground as if to drink to a grave Delta couldn't see. Delta watched as he closed the well back up and began to do a really awkward hip thrust towards the ballroom where music poured out of the open doors. Delta enjoyed his enthusiasm, and despite his age, his manner still had a healthy golden tinge to it that spoke of a man who could tell some very dirty jokes if he wanted to. He had to be at least 80, maybe even 90. Manner is a heck of a drug, Delta joked and turned, but knew had vanished. Not just wandered off, but completely just shut his avatar down. He had removed himself from the physical space like he was going to room and shutting the door. Delta felt a bit worried, but didn't ignore his boundaries. She could wait until he was ready. But now she had heroes being hooked up to ivies in the medical room, horrible drunk dad dancers in the ballroom, some heroes were getting inscribed magic marks made in the forge, and three of them had entered the boss room. Delta was worried how Jelligan was getting on when she discovered something both amazing and slightly disturbing. Delta could in fact make jello shots. The amazing thing was that Jelligan was so magical that he made even the most hardcore drinker stumble in shock at the potency of the drink. The disturbing part was how Jelligan remained fully in control of his swallowed pieces and knocked out the heroes with little effort from the inside out. Delta stared at him as he and his other puddles looked innocently back at her. I thought you liked them, she asked slowly and Jelligan gurgled once. In Slibian, it roughly translated to, I wanted to win my first fight. If the heroes of Ale brought their full force and semi-coordinated numbers against Jerrigan, they might have made a difference. However, the few left were slow dancing with Muffet and Ferrer in the ballroom, were smelling troll soup in the hall, or being lulled to sleep by a golem with soft books that played music when opened. The last one standing was the old man, who seemed both happy and a little sad while he watched the dungeon operate. He didn't ask for anything, and Dalton had the strongest feeling that he was wanted to fade away. As he swayed a little to the music, a pendant fell out of his shirt, a coin-like necklace showing two swords crossed over a round circle. It looked old, just like its owner. 
Princess Surma turned her pendant over nervously as the town seemed to be approaching in the distance. The shiny golden coin of two swords over a circle was familiar to her, but after learning about her father, she had lost some affection for the royal symbol. Across the space in the carriage, Lorsa was looking happier as they neared, as if some fresh air of the place was something that she was in desperate need of. Next to her, Mass snored as he hugged the similarly snoring orange slime in his lap. Any sixes? The tied-up demonic imp asked as he held up cards in his toes. Sermo was glad that she wore gloves when shuffling the deck of cards. She put a six down, and the imp, using scary amount of flexibility and dexterity, collected a card and then put down three sixes. Demon flush, it grinned at her with the bloodshot yellow eyes. That's not a thing, she counted. It is, the imp said, lips trembling as if in the verge of a tantrum. Sermo should have tossed the imp out. But Mass felt bad for the thing, and Surma didn't have enough reason to teach it yet. It is, but only if you're bartering for souls. The demon stopped that a long time ago, Lorsa commented, and the imp nodded. Human souls were overdone, the market bubble grew too fast, and then a lot of demons ended up in the name debt. Horrible period for the economy, the imp sighed. Surma silently remembered her family still had over 30 names of demons they kept in reserve, like precious wines. Great. Her father was tormenting both the people in debt of her country and literal demons in debt. She would release all the names just to spite him. The hole at the side of the road felt too nice. She could offer her father as collateral to a demon. Eternal glory for Mass for the soul of a king. It seemed fair. What you thinking about? Mass yawned as the carriage slowed around the bend. Soma smiled at him. Political economics and investments, she answered. And he gave her a smile. If it makes you happy, uh, I've got five copper. What do you want me to invest in? He asked, and the slime in his lap gurgled, bobbing something that looked a lot like a gold coin in his stomach, before it vanished. Soma thought about it as Lorsa shot her a look, as if able to read her mind and approving of what she found there. A better tomorrow, a cost is one smile, she teased. Mass grinned at her, and it seemed to melt away any evil thoughts in her heart, like a hot metal on butter or a branding iron on her father's backside. The town of Durance was close at hand, and it seemed to be just a normal-looking place. A sleepy little village that could be anywhere. But it wasn't anywhere. It was named after her uncle, someone she knew precious little about. Lorsa seemed to inhale the air and know its secrets. The imp seemed to sense something familiar. The slime that Mass called Mule seemed hungry. And Soma... Soma wondered why there was a conga line of hungover people emerging from the forest. Delta felt a little lonely as the dungeon resumed being empty for the most part. Only the troglodytes that were in flexible fair play grunts were coming in now that they had finished trying to get information out of the heroes of Ale as they left. Delta could even hear the questions they asked as increasingly outraged tones by her entrance. How far did you get? Where were there any new monsters? What did they drop? Did you find any secrets or things that indicate that the dungeon is secretly going to kill us all? Not great questions in Delta's opinion, but the answers... Oh, Delta lived for the answers. How far did we go? Not far enough in the drink. I only count three of you, and my record is six. Uh, the only monster around here is the headache I'm going to have in the morning. It can be slain with a greasy breakfast. The dungeon is plotting to keep us here forever because I am in love. I got eight, wait. You didn't ask me anything. What? You don't think I'm good enough to be interrogated? You white pajama-wearing rear end? Perhaps not the answers Fairplay Company were hoping for, 
but Dalton found them all very reasonable. The heroes of Ale might stick around for another try or two, but Dalta would understand no. She would insist that they moved on before long. They were a treasure, and Dalta simply couldn't keep them to herself. That and Pharaoh might revolt. Life was a party, and Dalta, she was just a small part of that. They would go where they had to go. The heroes of Ale were not the heroes people needed, or perhaps wanted at all. But they were going to come anyway, because booze didn't grow on trees. It appeared in pubs after payment. She hummed as she managed to find a small moment between fair play people to install a new feature in the Hogshead Bar. It was on the wall that was a little in shadow, but Delta wanted it to be noticed by the right people, not just anyone. A medium-sized painting of men and women along a table, each holding a glass of wine or a mug of ale, with the old man she had seen in the middle, with his arms stretched out. The sun was high and the day was young, and the lightings gave it an almost sacred feeling to those that gazed upon it after three or four drinks. It was called the first drink. Delta winced as wine worked over a group of fair play people an hour later, her hangover making her usual cruel mood into a vicious snarl of vibe. The men in white were flung about, then crushed under the root-like heel. She didn't have to admit that fair play was making progress. They had begun to shift and only used force when it was deemed doable. It was a little disheartening to see that they disliked Dungeon so much that they would refuse just to experience the place. But Delta knew that not all Dungeons were like her, not even close. Between the drunken rambles of the Heroes of Ale and the inside source they whispered about, hints about her second floor were beginning to leak. There was a slight flaw in her second floor that Fairplay could just continue throwing numbers at her floors until a workable solution could be found. They made their work twice as hard, but she had noticed more and more Fairplay teams were beginning to bend in regard to the rules. Some of them didn't even try to murder the pygmies this time. It took a little effort on Delta's part to ensure the pygmies didn't murder them all one by one like a horror folk when they trampled over the monuments to her. But Fairplay wasn't the only one entering the dungeon. More and more outsiders were appearing, and they weren't novices like Kemi and Estelle's groups. She rubbed her head as YM has taken down simultaneously in two different mirror dungeons, not by fair play, but by adventure groups who had turned up with some real experience under their belts. These were professionals, who were also not against just enjoying the dungeon. Some of them even tipped Farah before fighting Fran, who won some and lost some. The feeling of two YMs going down at the same time was like shooting a migraine that morphed into an infected tooth that pulsed down her neck. But it was more than enough to understand, maybe, why other dungeons didn't opt for the mirror copies as Delta had done. She really didn't want to know what ten bosses going down at the same time felt like. Delta was just about to head back to the fourth floor to continue work when there came a peculiar feeling in the stomach. It started as a gurgle, like she was hungry, but then shifted to a growing pressure. He quickly made her double over as she felt like she was growing a new organ in her chest. It was uncomfortable, like suddenly having a tail or a third eye, complete with forming nerves. She shivered in pain as her skin prickled to the dozenth degree, each second overlapping with another way of the stretching feeling. It was like growing a new floor, but worse. Then it stopped, and Delta could slowly unclench her muscles as she stared at her hands. Then came Prim with an urgent scream. Morning! Mana in the abyss has reached formation, attempting to reconnect back to Dungeon as a new entrance, Distance is causing fractures. There is no secondary call function at location to act as a relay. Dungeon will undergo immense danger. What the heck is my mana doing in the abyss? She demanded. 
and the screen stared at her. Most rejected items or destroyed dungeon items flow into the abyss to be purified and returned free of dungeon mana. Your mana did not purify. It went to war against the process and emerged the victor. Uh, the abyss, th that's the demon world, right? Delta asked, ignoring the implication that her mana was now breaking things without doubt or even telling it to. Correct. The new entrance is trying to breach unfathomed spaces between this world and the abyss. Unless a suitable core and or relay core function is installed, you will suffer damage. You must construct more relay pylons. Brim seemed confident in his answer, and Dalta swallowed once. Okay. Let's do it, Dalta encouraged. A door to hell wasn't a bad thing. Right? Uh, like a vacation spot. Error. Cannot construct distances too great. You will be able to do so when the new entrance is formed. Dalta blinked once slowly, then spoke even slower. But then I'll be torn apart, she said, almost cautiously. Correct. You need the entrance to control the manor, but having the entrance will most likely tear you apart. So uh, I can't build it if I want to, and I can't stop it either. Can I turn my manor off, she asked, feeling a surge of panic rising in her. No. Delta had a horrible image of her ballooning up like a sausage, and then promptly exploding all over Durance. Fairplay would be happy at least. However... Prim's screen interrupted Delta's inner panic for a moment. A secondary temporary core is arriving at the location shortly. Delta tilted her head for a moment. I have a secondary core in hell, she questioned, not sure if she was even surprised by this point. Uh, not quite. It burns, it quacks, it hisses, it quacks, it rains in hell, it quacks, Beta said, almost devoid of emotion as she trekked through the dark world, where geysers of fire occasionally erupted from the ground. On her head, a black duck quacked along. Beta's eyes looked haunted, and she stopped near the rock as a near-dead tiny plant grew on it. Its brown limb brittle, it danced in an ash-filled wind, like it was tempting her. Beta stared at it, then screamed, sending the whole thing on fire as she raged. It hides in a tree, it'll quack, she screamed in monstrous anger. The black duck on her head merely nodded. She turned back to the screen nearby her. It was covered in a little puppy and kitten paw prints. She glared as it glowed bright with a pale red light. Around the edges, vines and thorns had turned to stone and were flaking away slowly. Beta's Magical Menagerie, Version 2. Important quest, rescue your beloved teacher from the consequences of her own actions. Reward, orange mushroom cap hat for all transformations. Still don't trust you at all? I really don't, she whispered, hands clenched, changing into black claws. The screen flickered. I've accepted that, and I will never bother you if you wish after this. Please, just help Delta, sister. Also, I don't know who Delta is. Is she going to help me escape here? Is she smart and stuff? Beta grunted, and she trudged through the sand and ash. Indeed. So, I can trust her to take care of something delicate like the world tree. Beta pressed on the screen. Yes. You hesitated. <whistles> Beta twitched, but looked up at her escort. What do you mean you heard she was bombastic from your prince? You guys are literally monster dragons that are also ducks. How can anything be bombastic to you all? Beta demanded, throwing her hands up. Her screen just blinked. Just don't mention the mushrooms when you meet her, sis. Why would I mention that? Beta trailed off as the distance and the ash storm shifted to reveal a massive black pulsing mushroom cap that was crackling with a dark orange lighting, trying to grow up to somewhere beyond this world. In a few seconds, the beta watched it. It let out a thunderous boom like a voice. What time does a duck wake up? The mushroom bellowed. Beta stared. At the quack of dawn, it finished. 
Beta turned in one smooth motion. I'm going back to Hal Pond for ten more years, she said bluntly, and she started walking. Wait, she needs you. The screen tried to stop her. I don't need that. Beta jabbed her thumb over her shoulder. I'll improve your reward. No. Triple reward. No. Beta's footsteps crunched in the sand underfoot. I'll introduce you to someone who can hurt the tree. He lives close to Delta, the screen said, and Beta rose. No one can hurt the tree. It's too powerful. Even I can't. Not sure I can, Beta said quietly. This one can. Chris Fire Smasher has dedicated his existence to it. He has the means. Beta turned around to stare at the epic mushroom towering in the horizon. Fine. Beta sounded calm, but her eyes were shifting into a dozen different forms a minute. Beta didn't hope. She didn't dare let that stupid feeling bloom in her heart ever again. But she didn't reject the idea. Where do tough ducks come from? Hard-boiled eggs! Beta gritted her teeth. She truly was in hell. End of chapter. Chapter 185. Red Moons and Bad Jugs. Delta was moving through the garden, her face contorting as she howled her stomach. She was just far enough when the air grew hotter and the scent charred flesh filled the room. You smell of home. Runelik said as Delta slunk along the third floor to get to the fourth one, as she wanted to be close to her core as possible right now. She stopped as the demon blacksmith emerged from his workshop to speak to her. His body was covered in a customary soot and burn marks, and visible heat waves were wafting off his skin. The demon was coming out for a casual chat. That was not something a demon did, nor did Delta force it. His presence was still a bit weird for Delta, as he felt the void as easily resisted her manner and made her feel like she had a void inside herself. I may have baffed my way into the abyss and claimed some of it for myself by no fault of my own, she said bluntly, refusing to look embarrassed, and the blacksmith frowned as tasting something in the air around him. Hmm. My daughter of the abyss, I, well. All I will say is that it's getting awfully thick with dungeon manor here. You'll need to slow it down. You're not nearly equipped to be opening permanent doors to the abyss. The blacksmith warned and Delta shot him a look as he was slowing her journey down. She looked bloated, sick, and ready to burst into tears on the first sympathetic shoulder offered to her. The demon really needed to pick the timing of his pearls of wisdom better. It isn't by choice. I can't stop it happening, she admitted through gritted teeth, and the pain in her gut was like two rocks rubbing together after being dipped in car oil. Occasionally, she felt a piece of her dungeon shaking slightly before she got a grip over it. If this kept up, Delta didn't want to think of the consequences. Runelik rubbed his sulfur-like beard with a frown. Don't get worked up. I can't give you tips due to my confinement and bindings. The bastard who owns my name is still way under here. But I can tell you something. When opening the portal, or if the two sides are working in tandem or giving equal share, he said in a casual tone, it slows the process to a crawl, as the other side needs to work twice as hard. The blacksmith finished, and Delta tried not to politely shake the demon and beg him to skip the riddles. Pretend I'm in a lot of pain and thinking isn't a priority now. Just pretend for me. Delta finally managed as she was sweating. How long had it been since she had sweated out from pain? Runelik sighed as he teased out the snarls in his beard. You have too much dungeon manor here. Fix it. The less you have, the more time you have, he grunted, as black veins crawled up his neck like poison, making him curse as he fled back into his workshop, pulled back by whatever enchantments or promises that kept him there. It was a bit of a shame 
how much Runelik isolated himself. It made her think sometimes he had no problems or issues. She wanted to help him, but these bindings or oaths. Delta could break one, but not the other. She would go to work on that as soon as she had her current issue under control. Thankfully, Runelik couldn't be clear at that time. She needed to spend mana, and a lot of it. The sheer number of people coming in and out made the pretty impossible for longer than an hour. Still, she had to try, and Delta knew where to begin. Heat, followed by a sensation of falling, ended the dream that she was having and landing a golden three-headed shark that was made up of ten other sharks. Greatly annoyed, Ruli sat up in her bed, her mother's monstrous snores in the next room soothing like bugs in the night or birds to her ears. Ruli felt hot, then itchy and uncomfortable as she sat there for a moment. It was a strange sensation she hadn't much felt before since Ruli simply didn't get hot outside of circumstances that would melt a normal man. She climbed up and out of bed, her massive shirt bellowing around her knees. It was a good nightshirt, and the half-giant she got it off made it a perfect size for someone as tall as Rudy. It was a very old brown stain on the side where the giant got stabbed in the kidney, but Rudy didn't know anything about that or how he was stabbed with a special enchanted curved knife that would cost her two silvers. Rudy went to the kitchen and shifted a bunch of butcher knives out of the sink so that she could get a cup of water. The sink gurgled before drawing water that was pumped down from the mountains through the series of old pipes that should have needed replacing years ago, but never had an issue. Growing up, the stuff always tasted stiff, but now, Rudy eyed the water and sipped it again. It had a colder crispness to it. She even drank a second cup before she grew irritated at the itchy feeling of her skin wasn't going away. It was then she noticed her mother's snoring had stopped. She turned to see a looming shadow of a powerful beast standing near a window as the moonlight appeared. The monster melted away to reveal her mother staring outside, her yellow eyes glowing. You feel it too, Mila asked and Ruli sighed and nodded. The sensation, this burning in her blood, made it clear that the abyss was swelling. Either a demonic invasion was coming, a highly unlikely event, since that meant any demon wanted something in this world, or... Dad, she grumbled. She peered at her mother, frowning. I got demon blood to warm me, but how do you know? She asked suspiciously. Mila shot her a stony expression. I had my first longing for a man in over 30 years, she said with a great annoyance, and Ruli slammed the cup in the sink and stalked off with her hands over her ears. Ruli didn't want to hear any of it. Even in the abyss, Ruli forced her dad to cover up the massive wall-to-wall paintings of her mother, covered in her enemy's blood and little else. Rudy didn't need to see that either. She got dressed and grabbed her sword, its edges glowing slightly at her annoyance. As she walked out, she became aware of a commotion coming from the direction of Delta's dungeon. It sounded like an argument, and it was loud enough to travel all the way to the town. Her yellow eyes narrowed and Rudy stalked through the woods. She emerged near the entrance to find a dozen groups outside, raising their voices in protest. At first, Rudy tried politely squeeze through, but after so many dirty looks, jabs to her chest and sharp elbows to people stamping on her feet, she began to pick up offenders and hurl them across the crowd as she moved. It didn't take her long to make it to the entrance properly to find two goblins, a mime, a kobold, and an annoying little undead fairy trying to block the entrance with rope, buckets, and creative curse words. She stopped short as she ran her face first into an invisible wall, and the ghoul raised one hand and made a gesture of pulling a door open. The pressure removed itself from Rudy's nose. And I will use your manias to rearrange your fella. Maharia stopped as Rudy loomed over her. 
The Blood Knight Maiden arrives, the fairy said with a sigh of relief. That, that was worrying if Maharia had been concerned. She watched as the two goblins glared at the others behind her, as if daring them to get close as they held up gut-rot mushrooms as projectiles. Ruli felt the home sort of feeling growing thicker, and her alarm jumped three notches. What's going on? she demanded, and Jack the Kobold looked up at her as he raised what looked like a dirty book for housewives as a weapon. Delta, Delta, she hawked too deep, he gasped gravely. How did Delta hawk into another dimension of immaterial demonic energy and symbolism? Rudy asked, voice deadly serious. With the grace of a gazelle and the accuracy of a goat, Maharia said brightly. Rudy grabbed the fairy by the hand, turned dark and energy leaked off her, causing the fairy's discomfort as her necromantic energy was slowly ebbed away by Rudy's part demon. Demons were not of this world and did not obey the same rules of decay. She, she, she was subjecting some rooms and the normal process couldn't handle her daltoness, Maharia scowled and pulled herself free, some of her face melting off as her disguise slipped in front of everyone. There were screams from some of the adventurers and ooze of appreciation from death magic users, or were they goths with swords? Ruli always couldn't tell them apart until they fought. Ugh, I flashed the goods for free to so many. You made a scarlet woman of me, Maharia said with annoyance, as she put her face back on with a slopping motion. Where's Delta? Rudy asked, and the contract monsters looked inside with worry. Needing space to work, Hobbs spoke up, and then came to clamorous arguments from the groups of people, wanting to get back inside for more treasures. A few of them wielded Fran and Bacon equipment sets, like horned helmets, elegant armor, pig saddles, pig iron lances, long enchanted blonde Fabio wigs, fake pig snouts and shields that had bacon faces on it. Some of them had more exotic things such as pure black feathers tucked into hats after they fed the lake duck a bronze or silver dagger. Some had pots on their back for luck which were filled with clean water. Some of them had tiny little pigs with mushrooms on their backs and oinked in near chorus. The more experienced of the lot had authentic pygmy tribal gear which they must have thought was magic but she supposed to all that did was make the pygmy mushrooms target other people first, before turning on the wearer. That was actually magical, if Rudy thought about it. Some had long stingers as swords, some of them had dyed red or blue, while having flasks of glowing honey on their hips. She even spotted some woman wearing what looked like a replica bob helmet, complete with a maw of teeth. It looked heavy and monstrous. Rudy stared at it and felt just a little bit envious. She sort of, maybe, wanted a bob helmet. Listen, the dungeon is currently experiencing a... She looked at the monsters for help. Maintenance, Maharia said. We're adding new banners and a summer bikini rail banner for 0.005% chance of rolling. She added sarcastically, then blinked at herself. Delta, your world is terrifying, she whispered to herself. We want a fairer summer with a plate of booze, a group called, and they looked drunk. Rudy liked the look of them. Right, so Delta is getting these banners and things I don't want to imagine in swimsuits, so you all need to wait outside so that your experience is improved. You want a better dungeon experience, right? Rudy demanded, her eyes looking over the crowd and no one met her eyes. The drunk ones tried, but they were looking in two different directions. Why does it smell like a bad barbecue? Someone asked up and Rudy hesitated. That's the smell of bikini banners, she said quickly. They could not learn Delta was connecting to the abyss. That would bring down some very unwanted attention from many churches. Some decent, others not. Nothing soured a good day like a church turf war. What if we don't want to wait? A strong-looking man asked as his limbs torn off to show his muscles. 
Ruli crossed her arms and her muscles were bigger without flexing. I suggest you find the desire quickly, she said simply. That shut up a lot of them and Ruli got comfy as she didn't want to ruin whatever it was Delta was doing either. If she was a contract, Ruli shook her head. That was a thought that led nowhere good. Delta was moving through her second floor, setting up small groups of trees that she shifted with her movement tools and created open groves of sorts. She was sweating from the pain in her gut, but it was far less pressing once all the people had been evicted from her dungeon. They didn't even know what happened as heroes in full form appeared in all dimensions. He swept them out with the black holes. It seemed her current pain and need to deal with many people counted as a raid. Still, she was needing to spend mana fast, but she wasn't going to let this pain and threat of imminent death ruin her schedule. There was dying, and then there was just panicking. The groves she made were empty in the middle, and she raised the stone pillars in each, trying to use her will and imagination alone to shape them instead of the system. It took more mana, and Delta could flex her art skills. An elegant figure of terror and beauty emerged with the long tendril-like fingers and terrifying forest hag which Totem created, Prim chimed. <sighs> It was supposed to be wine, Delta said numbly. The screen turned to the totem and then back at Delta a few times. I hope she never sees this. Prim blinked away and Delta sagged as she patted the totem. People don't appreciate real art, she said sympathetically to the stone. She fiddled with her menu and found the totem was now a decoration, which she placed in each grove before opening the subsystem to allow Delta to give them purpose. Wyam witch statues, a powerful and memorable stone totem. Diplomacy suits you well, Prim, Dalton murmured with side eyes. Allow Wyam to process these statues and stalk adventurers to a murderous heart's content, 50 DP. Turn these statues into anti-pygmy wards to allow adventurers tiny pockets apiece, 20 DP. Wyam's natural divine powers allows all medicine, healing magic, and druid magic to be empowered within a range of these statues. Alcohol is now 5% more effective, 40% DP. These statues actively burn away any parasitic effects of the God of Redacted, the World Tree, DP 150. Choices, choices. Delta didn't know which one to pick. No, how's my resources? She asked and a dark blue screen appeared. You make the 1% of the world weep and envy, Nu said bluntly. Fabulous, Delta said and dragged her fingers down the screen with one smooth motion. Wine looked up as she continued to peel dried honey off her branches. I sense a Delta thing, she muttered with weariness. Suddenly, her awareness began to spread and she saw some horrid-looking statues that form a spiritual bond to her power. So ugly they become cute, I mused with a blink. They must be some sort of dried hag made to serve her. Oh, the fun she would have with this. Delta looked over the second floor, rubbing her arms to fight off the ache she felt. What the second floor is missing is a figure, a presence to urge them to hurry. She muttered and snapped her fingers, shifting the sky from bright sun to dark night. Second floor weather system. Make every hour shift the time forward. Six hours of the day and six to the night. During the night, the first hour is a new moon and the sixth hour is a full moon. Forty mana. Delta purchased it, and the moon formed above the jungle, tinged slightly red. She went to the secret flower garden and opened a menu. It seemed Prim had been following her thought process because several ideas were already waiting for her. Luna was nearby, collecting the herbs she needed for her springs. Oh, the young frog said with a coy smile as she watched Delta work. Floor Guardian, colors of the bloody wind, a wind elemental that is made up of a dozen toxic flower petals. It has no defined form, but sometimes looks like a see-through fish. 200 mana. 
Big Hoop Bear, a monster bear that seems to move through the jungle without disturbing the trees. Those who have eaten honey in the last six hours will never be able to escape this bear's nose. 200 Mana Boss Bunter, a 12-foot-tall frog of demi-divine lineage. The combined skills of all the frogs on this floor become this warrior's tools. To bring it forth requires all the frogs to truly embrace this myth and believe it. 200 Mana Delta hummed, but didn't pick any. This is sort of tough, she admitted, not able to just buy them all this time since it would only let her pick one. She would have to consider each strength in relation to her current floor's abilities, think of what she had and what she lacked. Nelta supposed she could ask the other monsters for their opinions and... Random floor guardian, 250 mana. Oh, no. Someone stop me, Delta said in a very faint voice as her finger rose. I can stop you if you want, New offered. And Dalta hit the Red Cross symbol on the corner of his screen. Shh, no adulting, only gambling, she said with a soothing voice. She hit the random option and waited with excitement. Before her, the flower shifted and the winds picked up as above. The blood moon glowed ominously. Before her, what looked like a very pale but normal girl appeared in the midst of flowers. Dalta stared at her simple, neck-length brown hair, scratchy-looking dress, and innocent expression. I got a child. I'm sure this is terrifying to most young adults, but I wanted firepower, she called to the system. The blood moon shone once more, and there came the sounds of tearing and fabrics ripping. Delta turned to see a maw filled with canine-like teeth belonging to a ten-foot-tall creature with white fur streaked with red lines. A dozen tails behind it whipping and lashing in a destructive manner as the glowing eyes snapped at her. He was haunched over, but clearly walked in two legs. It let out a roar that was part shriek, part scream, sending a dozen petals flying into the air as it shook the jungle. I thought it was a pale moon that did this, was all Delta could mutter. Ha ha! Everyone's in danger! Luna clapped her hands in delight. Liar, red moon beast, floor guardian. Only appears in the final hour under the full moon. This creature has simple goals and to feed off others' fear and hunt the slow. Most of the time, she's just a normal-looking girl who doesn't think or do much, but any ill actions taken against her will be repaid double when she changes. On higher difficulties, the full moon lasts six hours. The creature bent down to allow Dalta to pat her. It was undeniable, but when Dalta looked into her eyes, she understood one thing. Not much going on, but you do your best, she praised, and the creature's tail thumped. This was helping, but she was wondering how her secondary core was getting on. Did you hear about the girl and the three-feeter? Why did the chicken catch the bus? You have contracted li- Beta was sweating, ready to end it all as she tore through the spongy black mushroom flesh with her transformed claws. Every inch was a new layer of worse jokes. She was moved slow and the damn stuff was regenerating faster than she could cut it at times. Before, it had even trapped her and she had to eat the foul stuff. It was the worst experience of her life and she had been dunked in a vinegar pond by evil dragon ducks the day before. She paused to catch her breath as the flesh before her turned orange instead of black. Why should you never sing in a shower? Said a much clearer voice and a woman's voice. Because if you get soap in your mouth, it becomes a soap opera. She laughed and Beta's heart twisted painfully, as if the voice meant something. She pulled out a new layer and it was heavy, tough and unyielding. It is okay to be angry. You can be angry here. Your emotions are valid. Shut up! I don't know you. I don't know anyone, Beta screamed. It's okay if you want to hate me. As a teacher, if it helps, I can bear it. Beta sagged and her energy felt spent. 
But for some reason, the mushroom had stopped regenerating. I... I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I just don't remember why. She whispered to the ground. She tensed. And not remembering is pissing me off. She roared and began to tear and rip. She would not be denied. She would get to the heart of this thing. It called to her. I asked a dog what one minus one was. He said nothing. Also, to murder the jokes. End of chapter. Chapter 186. Tanning in puns. Beta struggled to the heart of the lumpy mass of bad jokes and mushrooms until she came to a massive pillar that emerged out of the ground. It was made of the same spongy material as the rest of the place. Veins of pure manna, something that Beta had desperately missed in the demon world, flowed up the pillar and to where something should have been. A round indentation at the peak of the pillar wanted something spherical shaped to be placed inside. Since it didn't have this thing, the manna was bursting to the air and causing mushrooms to form and grow uncontrollably in all directions. Beta stuck her hand into the pillar and let out a sharp hiss as the manna crackled in aggressive response and sounds rushed through her. Pulled out and no retreat is off to work we go, it's... Beta pulled her hand back and shook her fingers. The tips slightly blackened. Okay, she had forgotten her basic rules when it came to manna. Beta wasn't just a girl these days, when she focused on forming a strange crystalline claw and placed her hand. She was about to plunge the claw into the pillar when she stared at it. Where did I get you from again? Was it the Shattered Islands? I don't even remember, she said darkly and shook her head. How many years had she had forgotten? How old was she now? How long had she been a toy for that tree monster? Beta thought she looked the same as always, but the dark drakes had a point when they spoke to her. Her current form wasn't her real form. It was a form she willed into existence based on what she thought she looked like. It wasn't quite shape-shifting, but more refusing to let go of a snapshot. When she wanted to reform to her real form, something stopped her. A terror. A glorying panic that some old woman might emerge covered in sins that she had committed and then forgot. That menu had clues, but it also had records of all the things she had done. Beta growled to herself and stabbed the pillar once more, Ox of green light surging forth from her body. Beta's powers were a little weird. She didn't technically absorb monsters or consume them, but her body wasn't made up of advanced mule cells. Beta was sure that they called something else upon a time, but that wasn't what they were called now when she'd looked inside of her power. Every piece of her was made up of the exact same stuff. There was virtually no difference between her strands of hair and her brain or heart. To destroy Beta, one would have to fight her either with overpowered magic, or so long she eventually exhausted every single cell of energy. The only reason she had eyes or a mouth and they worked as intended was because Beta needed to feel human. She supposed, if she was honest, she was more amoeba-like or slime-like if one got down to it. Her arm flashed and the orange manna crackled and was pushed back as Beta's own energy began to overtake the mushroom's flesh replacing the spongy walls with hexagonal blue crystal formations. Soon, there was a stalemate between the two forces and Beta's jaw nearly dropped. She had consumed dragons, living horrors, even she couldn't even remember, and a black pulsing sack of wrongness. It wasn't of this world and every inch of Beta wanted to crawl away, threatening to break her into pieces. But as she thought about fleeing, vines emerged from her flesh and drove her forward, closer to the wrongness, the void of silence, the echo. Beta gasped and her crystals were pushed back before she managed to get herself back under control. That was something that she would have to deal with later. 
Her efforts to convert all this manner into more of herself was utterly fading. Even worse, the orange manner was learning and breaking down her crystals. Beta switched tactics, forming from her other arm a slithery black tendril that pierced into the pillar. She was trying to turn the stuff into black sludge that she could control. That worked for a time until the manor learned and suppressed that attack too. Why won't this work? Beta demanded as she switched her hands through a dozen types of monster formations, each capable of utterly breaking down and converting materials into more of itself. Some worked with mana, while others worked with physical materials. But nothing was working. The mana was slowly taking back its losses and Beta began to sweat, needing to cool down her body as she was heating up. There was a sudden pause after her question. Go the distance. Wait. Question. Student. Guest. Student. Guest. Question. Answer. What is the question again? Meow. 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 What? Beta stared as she slowly touched the pillow once more. Meow. 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 Can you understand me? She asked, feeling like an idiot for talking to what was basically energy. Yes. Yes. Understand much of what you know is little. You are a student guest. Be gara. Stop singing, stop getting distracted, Beta shouted, and the pillar went still for a moment, as if it was trying to focus. All at once, the walls, ground, and even the ceiling began to bulge and swell up, as if they were struggling to keep something contained, and Beta could feel an immense pressure of explosive energy forming. What's happening? Beta yelled, and the pillar answered her in a strained burst. Must not be distracted, pushing distractions to side, the manor said in a pained tone. This is why Beta just beat up monsters she wanted to handle. This talking stuff wasn't healthy for her well-being. Think about cats, she ordered, and all around her the wall split open, letting loose a little herd of cats with mushrooms instead of ears and spongy bodies. The near explosion seemed to shrink, but it was still building too quickly to disperse the area. Think about rock you can't move, she said, wanting this thing to waste all its energy in stupid tasks it couldn't possibly fulfill. A large boulder emerged from the ground near Beta and had a single word carved into its surface, Responsibilities. Beta once again considered becoming a citizen of the Dark Drake community and being a duck for the rest of her life. The pros were few, but not having to be here and deal with this one was a big one. Mana, things, I need to get up to the top and pretend to be in charge. Will you let me do that? Beta said over the noise of yowling mushroom cats and the stone that loomed ominously over her shoulder. You are not the core. There was enough of a cohesion between the manor to make a near proper voice of concern. Please, I can be whatever I want to be. Monster, girl, puppet, duck, prisoner, or core. Easy, she said and waited. Before her, stairs formed out of the pillar with wet, slurpy sounds. This is a terrible idea. It could be funny. We should invent chips. Beta took a deep breath and strangely sweet air began to climb. Her foot sunk deep into the step and her sock got soaked. It wasn't a sock, but a flesh but it acted as a sock and Beta's face grimaced. Can these be less moist? She asked, and for once, there was a single, unified voice. No. Delta felt just a little bit better. Something was happening to the manor in the abyss. It hadn't stopped trying to connect to her, but it was heavily distracted. Still, it wouldn't hurt to keep spending more resources. She stopped petting Lai's hair as the girl chewed on grass with a pleased look. The floor guardian didn't want much in life, and Delta was only too happy to grant what little she did want. Head pats and grass to chew. She cast her mind out for a new project to take up, bidding farewell to Lyre, who clamped herself to Luna's leg. Delta vanished into the fourth floor. She peered over the island she made so far and cast her eye to the ocean instead. 
What if someone did make it through the Jadigan? There was basically nothing here to defend the floor other than a crab. It also meant that she, just to be safe, couldn't just make one monster on a single island. It had to be also be able to roam between them. What roamed between islands, seeking havoc and rich treasures? She bent over suddenly as her mind went fuzzy with jokes and near mindless chatter mixed with a vision of something green and angry. He was gone a second later, but she shuddered as she felt a strange urge to act like a fool. Well, might as well get it out of her system and sink some huge resources into this endeavor. On Cancer Island, she began the formation of a single monster that was actually a bunch of monsters serving under a much stronger one. It was a new process for her, but with new and prim, she didn't have to struggle on any one part for too long. Before her, floating in the shallow water, was a round shape with a single forward point. The round shape was made out of metal and its seeding was made of liquid wood that flowed itself into the shape of Delta's design. Prim took control of the actual creation, which disappointed Delta a little, but she marched on. From above, she cut four slices into the roof, creating windows of sorts, before she focused and made a massive mast of wood rise up. It came with a complete set of pale pink sails and frilly edges that dripped what looked like icing onto the round roof. What followed next was a proper creation of the hull and with a figurehead of a massive serpent coiled around a magical-looking staff. Delta stood back and her two systems stared at the creation. Now I have a bad feeling about this, Brim muttered as New just kept silent, being an old hand at Delta's games by now. Delta opened a menu and found new options had indeed appeared due to her newest creation. She shuffled through things around until she got what she wanted. But why is it a giant pie in the ocean? Prim had to ask, getting more outraged. Delta just hummed to herself as she created four monsters to be used in the creation of a wandering floor guardian. Delta started smiling with delight as four hunched hairy ratmen appeared on the deck of the ship. They were wearing torn striped shirts and bandanas of different colors on their heads. That was when the options she was cultivating finally fit Delta's high standards. Pirates, scoundrels of the fourth floor that wander the ocean to seek unaware adventurers. While these ratty men may be scurvy dogs and tricky, their captain is something else. Aboard this leviathan vessel, a far worse threat awaits. 60 DP. Delta stared at the suggested name of the ship and pursed her lips. Let's call it, she trailed off. Inside the captain's cabin, a form wearing of oversized beige hat shifted as it came into awareness. It stretched and yawned as knowledge filled it and the crew. Slowly, the crew began to smile and laugh. Hello, well, hello, well, hello, well, she cackled as she kicked the door to the deck open and pointed her magic cutlass with a little rabbit chain hanging off of it. Ratbird, Rathew, Ratmantha, and Perry, lower the sails and set to sea. I have a craving to feel the wind in my hair. The captain, Tane, cried. Moments later, the ship began to cruise away. On the side, visible in sloppy paint strokes, was a name, the Lemontian. Captain Tan and the Pirates, Floor Guardian, a special fighting vessel that seeks all things sweet and shiny. Each rat crewmate specializes in a different way of fighting and drops unique flavor loot. Perry's flavor is said to be the most mysterious of all, pie flavor. Depending on which island they are closest to, the ship gains a special new type of ammunition for its cannons and features. Example, Cancer Island. Cannonballs are actually very brown crabs that, when they miss you, unfold and slam into your back. The ship also emits a constant low thrum of music that confuses all enemies or invites others to dance. Gemini Island. The cannons become dual-shot, 
The ship has four rack crew, but their powers are split evenly, and the flavors become niche. Delta felt like she had lost ten pounds. She felt so much better, but she still had so much damn mana. If she couldn't get it spent before Fairplay got back in, she'd be back at square one. She followed Captain Tan for a bit, just to make sure nothing was malfunctioning. The only thing she noticed was Captain Tan kept pointing at things and going, LOL, 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 and a new continuous laugh. Delta was pretty sure she wasn't even using the acronym, but just the sounds. Even so, this fragile-looking child captain could take on five friends at the same time. She was no joke. Her strength was befitting the fourth floor, and she was also a floor guardian. If Fran was fully unshackled and in night mode, maybe Captain Tan could only take two. Jedigan could take two Captain Tans at the same time, which showed that the boss on the previous floor could still eclipse a lot of the early threats on the next floor. Still, Fran has his own little core. Delta could never be sure where her first boss monster ever fit into things long term. She turned and you stopped her. Maybe we should have an end goal for all of these islands, or maybe a reward for getting all 12 orbs you seem to be setting up, he asked as Delta stared at him. She felt that little blue box was radiating concern for her behind his wall of indifference. Because it'll cost the most manner in DP, she asked with a smile. The floor is unfinished and it makes it look untidy, Nu said, not quite denying Delta's words. Delta looked over the floor with its half-completed islands and imagined the end goal of the floor. The idea was that if someone collected six orbs off any island, they would gain access to Star Island, hidden far above and in the sky, and be able to face the boss. But what if they collected all 12 orbs? If someone collected all 12 orbs, then they would have to be rewarded, wouldn't they? She clapped her hands together in front of her, and then slowly parted her hands, creating a great divide in the ocean below. The divide was skirting close to the plugged whirlpool hole to the abyss, the exposed ocean floor had sand, some shells, coral, and growing seaweed, but nothing to stroke anyone's imagination. With effort, she selected the section of the ocean floor and raised it upwards, forming a more rock to keep peace of detached seafloor stable. Slowly, she shaped a simple island, but with a massive set of stone stairs on it, with twelve statues, six on each side of the staircase. Each statue had an open mouth, slot, or hand where something could be placed. It didn't take much coding to make the island rise to the surface when the group had eight or more orbs in their possession. The raised island connected to the main island that led back to the third floor. Now, there was a very neat little hack that Delta had discovered when she was making up the last floor guardians and such. The more complex and tricky the activation trigger was for an event, the more dangerous or powerful Delta could make the effect for only a little more cost. With focus, she brought up a mirror dimensions of the dungeon, she purchased the third, the fourth for more mirror dimensions, emptying half of her DP cost in a single purchase. The pain was immense, but it was oddly set off by the fact that she was making it harder for mana in the abyss to reach her. The migraine pulsed and she needed to put her head between her knees for a few minutes before she could move again. I'm a sunflower, I'm a daisy, I'm a tulip, I'm a friend to the bees, she chanted in a near song to help her pass the time. Once that was settled, she looked at the fourth floor's mirror dimension and reduced them by half. The third floor, not having the same reduction, was forced to channel itself into narrower paths. For every two exits out of the third floor, there would only be one fourth floor entrance. A treasure hunt is no fun if you're the only one looking, Delta grinned. Two different groups, maybe more, would likely head in different directions to outpace the others that appeared. 
Once that knowledge of the orbs became known, the other party would have to make a choice of hunting down the remaining orbs or take the other party's orbs. But she wasn't trying to make a battle royale that would turn the ocean red. With Nu's help, she only made a new enchantment on the orbs, but a new sign that rose that appeared on the fourth floor. The ocean before ye is free, to aid or hinder, only ye can make it be. But I, but I, ye be forewarned of the curse of the orbs. The more blood ye spill, the more orbs absorb. Aye, the blood-soaked orbs may open the door, but they'll poison your reward. Aye, even worse, the more ye stink of blood of the man, ye faster ye'll be found by Captain Tan. New went and ruined Dalta's mysterious sign by adding a little hanging one. If you see Captain Tan anyway, just scream you have candy on the beach. Bonus points if you have a trench coat on, New. Once that was done, Dalta turned to the still exposed island under the water. She bent down and went to the underside of the island, making the tiniest nest. Inside, a little snake was formed, split directly down the middle into black and white. It looked up at her and flicked its tongue. Delta gave it hay and anti-water barriers for its nest, a little stone hut and a bowl of fresh water. And everything after all the orbs, the forcing competition, Captain Tan and more, this little fella was her activation trigger. I'm going to call you Fi, Delta said with a smile as the snake buried its head into the hay and emerged, looking like it only had one brain cell and it was stuck on loading. Ophiuchus has been created, rank critter. Delta, your room sucks, Beta screamed as she went waist-deep into a step. She slowly pulled herself out with a squelching noise as she reached up for the next step with her hand and it sank into the step like a wet carpet. The wheels in the bus go round and round. I guess she doesn't want the step-by-step instructions. Beta let out a shriek of rage and climbed faster. Beta had to do something. She had to fight fire with fire. That's great, but did you see me and the boys waiting for capitalism to collapse? She called out and the manor went quiet from confusion. Beta grinned viciously. It's pretty sad when you email your teacher at 2am because you have no life, but it must be worse when they email right back. She kept finding power to climb faster. Miss Pac-Man thinks she invented woman power in video games. Insert picture of chessboard, Beta yelled, moving faster now that the manor was in disarray due to the confusion. Do you know when you're pretty screwed? When even the priest who comes to see you in the hospital has to put on a hazmat suit over their Bible before they enter, she yelled, each step yielding to her energy. She was nearing the top. Reject mushrooms, return to single cells, she roared and grasped the ledge on the top of the pillar. There was a pause. Is that a me-me? The manor asked and Beta's fingers slipped as she slid down five steps with a scream of anguish. The war was on. End of chapter. Chapter 187. A, B, D, G. Beta was fighting an unwinnable fight. Everything about Delta seemed able to defeat her. Her adaptive powers, her variety of attacks and more. Beta felt like it would be like her taking on a magic weapon that only had so many limited forms. In a dark moment of humor, Beta supposed it was almost like a game. Dungeon beat monster, monster beat hero, hero beat magic sword, magic sword beat dungeon. Or was it the monster that beat the magic sword? Beta laid at the bottom of the central pillar. Watching as every second, the spongy mushroom flesh adapted, evolved, became redundant and evolved again in a cycle that made it godlike in one moment and pitifully weak in the next. 
The pillar wasn't trying to stop Beta, but its very nature made it dangerous to traverse. Stairs became doorways, walls opened to experimental rooms, and things sometimes emerged from the wall half-formed. Grimacing, she turned to the system she had been doing everything she could to ignore, and began to actually look at what it offered. Beta hadn't forgiven the siblings, would never forgive them, but her own grudge could wait until this was settled. They did free her from their parasite, so it was like a peace offering that Beta was only going to take as far as needed. The menu only had three main features along with a point counter. Core upgrades, monster form upgrades, mutations, monster points, 468 million. Beta guessed she'd been busy over the years. She tapped the core upgrades and found the system worked in a manner that she was given three options to pick and once Beta picked one option, the other two would vanish and might come back the next time she picked an upgrade. Her first selection made a glare. It's less painful to transform parts of your body. Insect monsters are 2% easier to absorb, able to eat slightly unpleasant foods more easily. Beta could transform her whole body in with no pain. She could slurp up insects in seconds, and she ate raw witches at one point. What the hell was this? Beta picked the first one and saw the next upgrade cost had gotten from one monster point to two monster points. She didn't feel any different, which she chalked up to being too badass on her own power. The next three options came. Improved coordination when using two monster parts at the same time. Able to store up four different monster blueprints. Improved tracking. Beta blinked. Four blueprints? Beta had hundreds of monsters inside her body, ready to go. She remembered suddenly that she'd been eating and it felt like she was constantly on the verge of throwing up but something. Tree branches and vines forced her to keep eating until that wall broke under her constant consumption. It hurt terribly. She picked the additional blueprint, just to spite the parasite. Oddly, this one she did feel the difference with. Just for a moment or two, something in her head stopped hurting. Maida hadn't even noticed that she was in pain, so the sudden lack of it made her jolt. The next core upgrade now cost her three points. Curiously, she tried the other two options before moving forward. They worked in the same manner that they offered a choice of three upgrades. Monster upgrades offered her a strange selection. All your goblin forms become 2% more perfected. Current goblin blueprint bugs 5,345%. Unlock silver salmon form, a low evolution form of the silver shark blueprints you own. This form has increased stealth and reduced stress on the body. Goblin Shaman form now gains lightning ball spell for use. Disturbed, she picked the first option and noticed something in a cluster of goblin forms shifted. New connections forming as old tattered strands were removed. The vague shapes of her many goblin forms suddenly snapped to a slightly more clear vision, and details about them shifted. Before, when Beta looked at the goblin form, she had it might have read Goblin Warrior. Now, it was just like it had expanded. Goblin Warrior Tier 1 Evolution of Goblin Goblin. Strength, hit good. Magic, no thoughts, empty head. Speed, potato. Monster upgrades went from costing 1 to costing 3. That was something Beta noticed instantly. The last option made her extremely nervous as she tapped mutations. Once again, she was given 3 options. Due to owning a Tier 1 Evolution of the Forest Spider, Fanged Forest Spider, you can now produce anti-venom for these species that works on tier 1 and tier 2 with various results. Constant creation will tire you. Due to owning the deep murk clam form, you can now slowly purify dirty water for others to drink. Constant creation will tire you. 
Due to owning three different types of skeletons, you can now produce and regenerate spare bones for various uses. I don't remember eating clams, Beta muttered as she chalked that up to the dark times when she was far gone. But why do the mutations benefit people and are helpful? Aren't I a monster? She asked, and to her surprise she got an answer. The ultimate monster is not just a destructive force. It is a challenge for others to meet. Until they come knocking, you aren't a monster. You are a mythical creature. Every action you take spreads and helps remove seeds within people. Beta just grabbed the water mutation and felt strange as something in the rough location where humans had kidneys suddenly bunched and formed a strange organ. I just grew clam pits, she said in surprise. With the thought, the organs melted away, and when Beta thought of them, they reformed. She guessed that they would prevent her from becoming bloated with organs and features. Collecting the correct list of mutations will create a system in your body and grant a unique feature. Clam mutation. Unknown. Unknown. Find the missing two to unlock Beta well. Beta stood up slowly and grunted as she dusted herself off. There have to be millions of mutations. How the hell am I supposed to find the correct ones? She asked with a dark tone. Every unique system has clues that can be found in the natural world, from the highest mountain to the deepest uh, dungeon. A well of knowledge can be found in the oddest of places. Beta's sighed, noting the mutation cost jumped from one to five. How do I get more points? I should ask before I forget. She looked around and waited for a response. Consume. Learn. Use creatively. Beta pulled a spongy mushroom off the wall and gnashed it between her teeth, as if to sarcastically agree. The thing stung her throat and made tears spring to her eyes. It was vile, and she coughed a few times. Hellish gut rot consumed five points gained. Congratulations. This is the third most toxic thing that you've ever consumed. Would you like to open your world record tab? By what? Beta said around violent coughs. Instead of an answer, a new window opened with ten lists. Top three consumed tabbed. Evolved. Third, Ice Wyrum, Tier 6. Second, Spatial Goat, Tier 8. First, Unknown, Tier Undefined. Redeem Records, Total Points Gained, 5,000. Rarest. Third, Gollum Horned Rabbit, Less Than 4,000 in the World. Second, A Three-Eyed Fish of Corruption, Less Than 500 in the World. First, A Pure-Hearted Lawyer, Less Than 5 in the World. Redeem Records, Total Points Gained, 3,000. The list went on to list the most violent, most magical, most toxic, and more. All in all, Beta could get 200,000 points there and then. It was like a reward for exploring and eating new things, like an open-minded tourist, but with more teeth. Are there any uh, other systems I should be aware of? Beta said with a gritted teeth as she tried not to curse the tree aloud. Fixed clone production is unlockable for one million monster points. Uh, like evil clones? Beta asked, suddenly interested. The Tiamat system will allow you to produce monsters that you have consumed with all upgrades that you have unlocked. Currently, if unlocked, you can make one clone. Every additional million points will unlock another clone. Each clone is independent, but is you. They will not betray you because you all share one mind, but the clones may develop quirks that display themselves differently. So, uh, I should upgrade myself first and then make the clones because they'll be more reliable, Beta mused as she eyed the space. She left the mushroom tower to find a dark drake watching calmly from a distance. Are there things in hell that I can fight and eat? I'm asking for a friend that also happens to be me because I don't have friends, Beta asked the duck seriously. She had points, but she had a feeling that testing them out where she got them would be a smart decision. The duck looked highly amused. 
It gestured to the entire land where the weird red sunlight touched. It might as well have said buffet that way. Beta nodded and focused, producing fresh water from somewhere inside her and letting it drip over the duck. I give you my fucks. You may use it to grow some of your own, she said and walked off as the duck shook itself. With what she felt, the tower had less than an hour before it hit critical levels. Beta only needed 30 minutes to get good. Listen, I've heard this story a dozen times. It's not going to help. The girl stopped in the middle of the path with a long, dark expression. They took everything from me. I won't stop until every last one of them is dead, she said, her long, dark hair obscuring her face slightly. And you swore to help me, she reminded. The blade emerging from the strange religious cross handguard made a scoffing noise. No, no, I offered to help you deal with one particular vampire who we agreed on. Don't put words in my mouth. I really don't like it. The sword warned and the girl scoffed. I pulled you from the swamp. You owe me your help, she said with frustration and stabbed the sword into the ground as she began to pace. Gamma let out an internal sigh. It was always me, me, me with people. And I am giving you help, but that doesn't mean that I'll devote my life to your endless crusade against vampires, which is a little racist. I'm a be blunt, Gamma said flippantly. The girl shot him an ugly look. What life does a sword have if not to kill things? She asked and Gamma could have screamed at her, raged about his injustices, or even called her a parasite of her own type. But Gamma didn't do that. He was rather used to being treated as a thing and not a person. Besides... Esma was hurting, and Gamma enjoyed being a terror, but he knew what it was like to feel powerless and angry. He wondered if he pointed out that he had saved her from a dozen swamp snakes, two goblins, and a couple of bandits, that he had already paid her debt a dozen times over. No, that was rational, and people hated being rational. Gamma shifted his form until he looked like a kitchen knife with a chef's hat. Mademoiselle, let moi... Cut to the chase and serve up some desserts, he said in a horrible accent. He dropped it in the next second. You're hunting a vampire that you don't know the name of, the location of, or the destination of, or even the social security number of. Any other carding knife would have split by now, he said gently as Esma looked down at the ground, biting her lip like it was going to run away. Gamma shifted to a spear, so she could better lean against the tree Esma was also leaning on. Spear just felt more feminine to Gamma. Perhaps it was just the phrase, beat them off with a stick, that had cemented the idea. You got to base yourself, or you be doing the vampire's job for him and dying before you even get started. Trust me, Gamma said and turned into a wind-up crossbow. It's better to carefully take a shot than... He shifted to a mechanical crossbolt with a machine gun-like barrel that began shooting arrows with barely any force. Prematurely go off. Gamma joked, and Esma scoffed and looked away, a smile tugging at her lips. I didn't know that you could become a ranged weapon. She finally said, and Gamma turned into a slingshot with a strangely blue elastic sling. Why be one thing when I can be all things? Fluidity is key, Gamma said proudly, and then added a nonchalant voice. Besides, you didn't ask, they said casually. Esma hesitated, then sat down. Okay, tell me about your powers. I guess I needed a break, she admitted, and Gamma silently cheered at the wind. Uptight wielders were nightmares. I am Gamma, the Swiss army knife of weapons, he began as he turned back to a sword. 
What's this Swiss? Asma interrupted with a puzzled expression. A type of cheese. But if you ask me, way better rolls. Gamma tried to wink and only managed to make his edge gleam. I don't get it, the girl admitted, and Gamma sighed. Not everyone is an artist, but everyone is a critic, he joked before clearing his throat, as he explained how he could consume different weapons to take them into himself. As he spoke, he eyed his menu. Cutting-edge technologies, core abilities, weapon form abilities, weapon research, skills research, weapon points, 120. Most of it was basic, like his core abilities enhanced his basic powers. Increase your durability to a higher standard. Increase your attack power on blade weapon forms. Improve your magical conductivity. He needed about 600 points for his next upgrade, and Gamma was aiming for that sweet durability. Nothing beats being the unbreakable spoon. There was a winning, and then there was Betty Crockering some idiot until they cried or ate cake. Weapon form abilities let Gamma learn some neat tricks with specific forms. Triple shot unlocked for all bow and arrow weapons, sling included. Any item turned into a weapon by picking it up off the ground becomes a weapon type that it most closely resembles and gains all passive abilities. Fans now enrage the foe if used to cool oneself in battle. Effect varies on the level of foe. Those cost a little more, so he needed around 700 for the next one. But Gamma had ended up accidentally becoming sort of God Slayer when he was in the potato peeler form. It was for the memes, but it then sort of became an addiction that he wasn't proud of. Weapon research took a little while for Gamma to grasp because it didn't come up with an option, just a request bar. But once he asked for a type of weapon and they input any amount of WP, then after some time, one of his weapons could evolve or splinter off into a new type of weapon. He once spent a year waiting on Spoon after he blew over 9,000 WP on it. The result was something he couldn't use without a great cause. Spoons of absolute tasting. This weapon form comes in the form of a golden spoon. Its ability allows it to bypass all defenses to take a spoon scoop out of the foe at once. No defense in the world can block it. The wound will never heal. Once used, the spoon requires 100 battles to pass before it can be used again. Gamma had gotten more than a few unique tools out of this feature. Skill research was something Gamma didn't bother with since his time with the her. It allowed Gamma to bestow his wielder with some instant masteries or neat tricks. A training montage with no cool music. All wielders have increased strength. You can sense what weapons would be best suit the new wielder. All your forms come in golden copies. Gamma didn't like looking at this menu. It would only cost him 40 points to get an upgrade. But he didn't trust wielders now. Only Gamma could look after Gamma. Suddenly, Gamma shivered and he turned in a direction. Gamma? Esma asked and Gamma shushed her. Don't say my name aloud. Call me Shord for now, he said oddly, as he felt pieces of his old selves flowing back to him. Sword, what's wrong? Esma asked with concern. Gamma was too busy looking at another screen. Given forms. 1. Jolin Javen Japes, 100 bigger than 85. Name redacted Golden Queen, 20. Mr. Happy, 3. The Dark, what on earth? What was that weirdo doing now with his sloppy seconds? Japes. Japes! An image of a coyly smiling man with a shadowed face as he took Gamma from the prison to the bank of Raloon was vivid in his mind. That fair play guy. It had been years since he thought of that guy. Hundred given forms for his freedom and been the sweetest deal Gamma had ever made. That prison was the worst thing he had ever known. 
It drained his WP, and she kept Gamma in a glass box that prevented anything from touching him. The prison where he couldn't sleep, and he was in the darkness nearly every day until she came to visit him. He pleaded for his freedom, but she was sure that it had to be that way. Gamma could cause too many unworthy people to come into power. She wouldn't let her kingdom, her children, be threatened by such a thing. Gamma was pretty sure that he also went a little crazy in that box, and it still affected him to this day. She was a good reason why he never ever allowed a silence member to wield him since that day. She ruined the whole group for Gamma. I just got some old pushes back, but one of them... Gamma stared at the bottom of the list of loaned weapons. 344 Delta, peace unrecoverable. It'll now produce gamma rays. It was a horrible joke. It was so bad that it soaked into Gamma's soul. Gamma, you're so radiant today. You must be a gem. I'm going to hang myself now. No, wait, come back. You're cold. Dirt. Uh, sword, you just turned into a ruler. Are you okay? Esma asked slowly. Gamma took a slow intake of breath. Esma. I'm going to unlock 10% of my power for you so that we can find your dog's killer today. He killed my parents, uh, but carry on. And you're going to do me a solid and head that way. Gamma gestured with a nudge of his blade to the west. What's 10% of your power? The girl asked as she picked up the sword. Gamma focused on his form, shifted to a massive broadsword made of swirling silver liquid adorned with emeralds that flowed over the girl's body making similar armor which exploded with two massive wings of metal that seemed to move on their own. Valkyrie armor mode. Light magic unlocked. Divine aura unlocked. Pine-scented air freshener added. Gamma roared. You can give me wings. Why did you make me walk everywhere? Esma yelled as the wings began to lift them into the air. I like seeing humans struggle for my amusement. Gamma added with a shrug of his tone. It also stopped the more crazy people wielding him from not wanting to let go. It was almost like Gamma acted like an unkillable piece of crap to stop people getting close. Nah, he just enjoyed annoying people. I don't even know where to go, Esma said as they cleared the treetops. Magic light spell, sense evil, Gamma commanded, and his sword glowed with light. A few dozen miles in every direction revealed two swamp hags, a shadow stalker, three teens doing some heavy vaping action, some naval woman in charge of handing out fines for unkempt lawns and misaligned garbage cans. And, aha, one vampire. No, wait, two vampires. How fast did these things go? Should we stick to the roads? Esma asked as the sword turned them like a compass. Gamma mentally flicked down a visor. Arnie, where we're going, we don't need roads, he said as wings flapped once, causing the minor boom of air, and they were gone. End of chapter.